0: Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt. Glad to see all of y'all and that you are here, however you're here, watching, engaging with what is going on at Rockbridge Community Church. So to our six physical locations and those of you that are watching online, thank you so much for being here. Hey, before we jump into part six, the final part in this spring series that we've been calling The Second Mile, wanna ask everybody to do us a, a huge favor as we seek to do a better job uh, of helping serve people, helping people grow in their relationship with Christ, uh, encouraging knowing uh, people spiritually and what God's doing, what God's up to in their lives. We need to update what our church database. Some of you may know that by its old term of like a church directory, if you remember those. But here, if everybody could do this, this would be great. Go to uh my.rockbridge.cc you're going to edit your or update your information even if your information had not changed since we started the church 20 years ago we'd love for you to, just to to log on to that check that out for us it'd be very very helpful so we can have updated and accurate information on folks who are checking out Rockbridge have questions about Jesus those of you that call Rockbridge your church home those of you who are just like you know you're you're coming and you're you're engaging we just want to know and be able to help and serve you Uh, And and as God leads you, so thank you for doing that. Log on, edit. That would be great. All right, so we are going to wrap up today this series that we've been in called Second Mile. And we've been using this metaphor that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount to say, hey, when we are following Christ, when we are pursuing the, the full or an abundant life, when we are looking more and more like Jesus... And, and we are living in the joy and the hope, and for the purposes he has for us, we're living on the second mile. So that, that's kind of a recap of what that means. And today, we're going to talk about something that I think all of us probably struggle with, and, and it's this. It's priorities. It's priorities. And so I, I mean, even, in your, even in your mind right now, maybe if you're taking notes, comment section, if you're online, list some of your priorities. And sometimes you have priorities in life and sometimes you have priorities like in a day, right, of, of things that you want to get done. And the challenge with priorities and being a second miler is this. When Jesus gave this command that if anyone forced you to go one mile, go with him too, Matthew 5.41, it came out of actual circumstances and situations that a first century Jewish Christian would have found themselves in when the Roman occupiers could force them to carry their military gear, military equipment, for a thousand paces, which we just conveniently translate as one mile. And so Jesus says, hey, if these people ask you to go one mile, I want you to go two miles. And so inherent in that is a conflict, right? Well, but I've got things to do today. I was on my way to the store. The Roman interrupted me, disrupted me. I did my duty of going one mile. And, and, and now, Jesus, you're saying, I need to go too. What about my priorities? What about my plans? What about my hopes? What about the things I want to get done, in, not just in life, but in today? And, and so, they're just like we all have conflicts and our priorities can collide sometimes, we've got too many places to be and too many people wanting things from us, and you know, this, I want to do this and I want to do that, and I can't get it all done. There's a conflict or a collision of priorities inherent in the second mile because the the people that were having to go one mile weren't getting to do what they were prioritizing at that time of day or in that period of their lives because of the Roman interruption-disruption. And then Jesus says, hey, keep going with them for two miles, so twice as long, twice as much energy, twice as much effort. And so how, what about our priorities? And so there's a conflict inherent in the second mile. And, and that's sort of the source of our, our discussion, our teaching, what that we're going to do today. Now, the interesting thing is I was studying this, and I was looking at this word priority. Here's the interesting thing about the history of this word. This word came into being in the English language, so to speak, in around the 1400s, and for 500 years, this word was only used in the singular sense, priority. There was no, like this: is, this is first, this is prior, this is number one. There's really no kind of number two. It just comes first. It was only priority. You know, really, it was only in the 1900s. So, some 500 years later, did we in the English-speaking world start making this plural and start saying the word priorities? So it's almost like you know, as life changed and things changed, we we like you know we we it's hard enough to have two, three, four, five priorities, but the origin of the word is there's only one priority, and it's almost like we change the word, but we struggle because we can't change reality that it's really hard to have more than one priority. And the origin of the word was only one singular word, priority. And then where Jesus is going in the Sermon on the Mount, he seems to agree with this word should only be singular. He says this, and it's a great promise. He says, but seek first as a priority the kingdom of God And his righteousness, and then he couples that, marries that to a promise. All these things, all your other lesser priorities maybe, or all the things you're tempted to try to juggle, try to balance, try to focus on, try to stress about, try to worry, try to deal with, all these other things will be provided, handled, taken care of for you. So Jesus gives this, and and it's almost like he knows something about us. He knows because he made us, and he made us to have one, one number one. He made us to be people who have one first love who can't have two. He made us to be people of one priority, as the word originated, not multiple priorities. And thus, his concern, and ours as well, is, hey... If we're supposed to be second-milers, we can't live our second-mile purpose with first-mile priorities. And so there's a challenge there that we have to work through because when we hear the word, think the word priorities, we think this, right? And then we think, gosh, if I only have one priority and it's God and the kingdom, what about all the other stuff that I care about or have to do or have to take care of? And we have questions, right? And and, then for some of us, you know, for our priorities kind of show up in our calendar, right? And like, yeah, well, Monday is school or Monday is work. But boy, Friday night, I got a different priority, right? And so there's this tension there. And then Jesus just kind of comes back and says, hey, listen, here's how it's supposed to work. There's only one thing that can occupy the center of our lives, There's only one true north that everything else falls into place and everything else is supposed to be oriented around and it's him, his son, his kingdom. And then all these other things take their place and make sense and have impact as they're oriented and positioned properly around Jesus and his kingdom. And so the danger Jesus is concerned about and what he's going to teach toward is when the secondary becomes primary or We will never get to the second mile purpose, the second mile kingdom priority, if we've got first mile priorities. Now, the beautiful thing, and you know, at Rockbridge we say, you know, we we believe in the sufficiency and the authority of the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, the authority of Scripture. And one of the beautiful things about the Bible is the Bible doesn't just give us commands and principles and, and cliches and say, hey, get on to the second mile. The Bible doesn't just say, hey, put God first, and, man, that's all you need to do. The Bible actually gives reasonings and arguments and, and, and to try to help us understand because we are mental beings with capacities and emotions, and we can choose. We have some level, level of, of freedom to choose certain things. And so we're going to go backwards and see Jesus reason and argue to seek first the one priority, of him and his kingdom. So let's go all the way back to verse 19 and we'll navigate forward. It says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And so we identify this concept of things of value, treasures, right? He says where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. The alternative is store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Now there's obviously a connection priority and treasure, correct, right? Something you value enough to pursue, to give time, to give energy, to give effort to, right? So there's and so Jesus is like, "Hey, just make sure first of all, doesn't it make sense that you want to be a wise investor in the selection of your priority?" Or in our case, at least since the early 1900s, priorities If we can do it, Jesus is doubtful, right? Seek first one thing, right? But what he's arguing is, hey, let's be a wise investor. Let's factor in eternity into our priority, into our pursuits. And he's like, look, you can put a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy into things that don't last, the things that you, know, don't really matter that much in funeral homes, and hospitals, when things are going bad, that will not matter when Jesus comes back, that will not matter in the scope of eternity. And he's like, "Hey, first of all, let's just be a wise investor. When, when you and I are and he's reasoning and arguing with us, when you and I start to think about priority. Or priorities, wherever you are on that spectrum right now, and maybe that'll change in the course of our conversation this weekend, but when you start to think about priority or priorities, does eternity factor into the matter? And if it doesn't, Jesus says it should. And when you think about things that last forever, Jesus is saying, hey, my kingdom is going to last forever. So seek it first. Then in verse 21, he kind of gets underneath how human beings operate. And he says, look, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Your treasure, your priority, what you value the most, what's your number one, what's your seek first, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And some great insight just into human nature. And it's this, everybody lives for some kind of treasure, One of the great things you and I have the capacity to do, and it's God-given, is we can assign value to certain things. We can assign value. We can rank things, right? We can appraise things. We can choose priority. We can set our heart on some kind of treasure. But whatever we choose, pick, prioritize as treasure, thus will control our heart, and our heart controls our behavior. So we can seek first. But we seek first what we value because we assign a value to it. And so Jesus would ask us this question, does my current treasure take me to the second mile? Or conversely, does the second mile and second mile lifestyle, second mile living interfere with my current treasure? So does my current treasure take me to the the second mile? So not only do we need to factor in eternity into our priority, we also need to factor in, hey, does what I, do, what I value, does it lead to the kingdom? Does it lead to second mile living? And, and then he kind of unpacks that and he says, look, it depends on how you look at things. And he gives like some analogies about the eye. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness and and all that he's kind of saying is hey, everybody looks at things a certain way, and and he again he's saying hey ha, let's look at how you look at things and we talked about perspective a little bit last week and we used the the the, the illustration of of Nessie the Loch Ness monster and the research that was done. On one particular day, but he's just hey, how do you look at things? And Jesus is trying to help us get to this place where we can go with confidence and be on the be get to the second mile. And now he's going to bring up what is a probably universal competitor for first place or priority. And here's what he says. Now here's what he goes: No one can serve two masters. So Jesus is kind of saying, hey, you, can really, you can't really have priorities. You have a priority, just like the word originated in the 1400s, just like Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So nobody can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both, because you can't serve two, only one priority, God and money. And and, and so beautifully what Jesus does is say, hey, look, there's only one thing that can be central. There's only one thing that, you know, when when you think about something, how does it affect this? How does this apply to this? And Jesus, like for a lot of us, it's money. We filter everything through the lens of money. And he's like, look, you can't serve both. So Jesus is also going to be pushing in this sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mountain, and we'll join Jesus in our sermon this weekend at Rockbridge. Jesus is always gonna, always also going to be pushing us to make a decision, to make a choice. Everybody's got a treasure. And are we wise investors or not? Are we trying to have it both ways when we can't? In, in fact... The Sermon on the Mount is often, it is often used to parallel some Old Testament ethics teachings. And there's a parallel to what he's talking about. It comes right out of the Ten Commandments. Do not have other gods, plural, besides me. This is God speaking to the Jewish people as he brought them out of Egypt. He's given them the Ten Commandments. Don't have other gods, plural, besides me. And then you go to Isaiah 44, 6, it says, This is what the Lord, the King of Israel, and its Redeemer, the Lord of armies says. I am the first and the last. There is no God but me. So just like the word priority was always singular for 500 years, God's like saying, you can't really have other gods. There's one God. So priority, not priorities. One God, not gods. But isn't it true? Now listen, listen, listen. Isn't it true, if we're all honest, and we're in church, so we're sort of supposed to be, right, that most of us try to be over here? Now, we would say, hey, I believe in God, but then maybe it's our career, maybe it's social media. Affect us like they're God's. You know, we, yeah, God's supposed to be number one, but then I've got family, I've got this, I've got that. So most of us, we're over here. And if we're over here, then that promise, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of, all these things will be added to you. If we're over here, we don't get the promise. Because it's a promise with a Condition. But God, through the Word of God, through the Sermon on the Mount of of Jesus, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, God is laying out the reasoning of why we should put Him first. And one thing that emerges, yes, be a wise investor, but another thing that emerges is we're supposed to seek Him first because He is first. And we're supposed to seek Him first because His kingdom is everlasting. Any other little G God kingdom is not everlasting. And so we seek him first because he is first, there's no gods but him. There's one priority, not priorities. Now, here's the pushback. And, and it's almost like Jesus can read our minds, which he can because which he can because he's omniscient, right? <laughs> so it's all, he, the pushback is, okay, but Matt, Jesus. I've got other things to do, and I've got other concerns. I've got things I've got to take care of. I've got things that if I don't, it won't. Isn't that how a lot of us live? If I I don't, it won't. If I don't, it won't. And that's where worry comes, and stress comes, and what ifs, and fear, and insecurity comes. Because if I don't, it won't. Or, God, if I put you first, who's going to put me first to take care of me and my stuff? But let's go back. You're a Jewish Christian, first century Israel. And you've got your list of things to do and tasks to take care of. And you're on your way of going about your day. And you bump into the Roman soldier. And he's like, hey, you're up, buddy. I got a 1,000 paces out of you. And you're like, rats. And you're like, well, I got to do what I got to do. There's just some things that aren't going to get done, and so you're worried and you're afraid. And then you look to Jesus and you're like, well, surely God understands, and maybe God will get rid of this guy, and maybe, maybe one day we you want know, all this. And, and Jesus like, hey, you know, I don't want you to just go a 1,000 paces with him. I want you to go to two. You go to the second mile. So then what do you do about the things you care about? What do you do that doesn't seem to take it past the word care? What do you do about the things you're worried about? If you're going to be a second miler, what about all the stuff on the first mile? What about the stuff that came before the first mile? Verse 25, chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Really? Really? What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. It's your lifestyle stuff. What about your lifestyle stuff? He says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And and that that takes us back to part one in this series, full life, abundant life, John 10, 10. That's second mile. Yeah, we're supposed to get to the second mile. And and God's like, hey, we're not going to worry about all this other stuff. And then he says, let's think about this. Again, he's using reasonings and arguments. He's not just saying, don't worry, let's close in prayer and go home. He's like, no, no, no let's, let's think about this. So he says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And let's put the cross in mind, because Jesus died on the cross for people, for people of God, for God's people didn't die on the cross for the sparrows or the birds of the sky. And and, and let's zero in on this word, heavenly Father. So there's a relational word. This isn't like the, the man upstairs, higher power, intelligent designer, creator, sustainer of all things. No, it's heavenly Father. It's intensely intimate, intensely relational, and for the people of God, it's intensely personal. You have a father in heaven that takes care of the birds. But that same father sent his son to die for you, die instead of you. So aren't you worth more than they are? Do you really have a reason to worry? Let's consider, he, says. Now, he brings another argument. He says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying you can't add moments but you can waste them right waste them worrying about first mile stuff and you'll never get to the second mile and why do you worry about clothes observe how the wildflowers of the field grow they don't labor or spin thread yet i tell you not even solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith? In the Greek, he sort of makes up an expression. It's like you little faithers, right? You of little faith? Don't you trust? Don't you believe? Don't you, haven't you put your trust in God? And, and, and then he's going to kind of, he's still moving. He says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? And, and, and the argument that he's making is this. Jesus is preparing to die, to go to the cross, so we can call his father, father, like he did. And if the father put the son on the cross, and the father takes care of the birds and the lilies, won't the father take care of his eternal kids that he's adopted at great cost to himself? So if we can call God Father, ask ourselves, why does stress often get our best? Why does stress get our best when God is first, God is best, and God gave his best to get us into his family and into his kingdom? And it it goes back to the, the first thing we said that's the challenge. We can't live on a second-mile purpose with first-mile priorities. And so the Father is arguing with us, reasoning with us that because He is a good, good Father and because we can trust Him, that if we put Him first, all the other secondary things, He's like, I, I'll take care of that. And then He says, let's talk about the people who can't call me Father. Now, the word for that in the first century was a Gentile. At this point, the faith, salvation has not been made known fully to the Gentiles, so it's only to, Jewish, to the Jews who would become Christians. But now it's opened up to all people, but people who can't call God Father. So he's God, he's a man upstairs, people who may not even believe in him. So he says, look, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. They spend their time, they spend their energy on first mile or even not even first mile stuff. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So there should be a difference between the things you care about and the things people who can't call God Father care about. But once you make God Father, you have a new treasure, you have a new first, you have one priority, you pursue it, and then God makes a promise seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. What a promise! That's like a pretty all-encompassing promise. But he, we would go back and say, "Don't be, oh, you of little faith." Do we trust God as Father? Do we see the treasure that lasts forever in the kingdom? So let's put it first. Be a wise investor. And then all the things we're tempted to make first, all the things we're tempted to complain about, worry about, stress about, God says, look, if you put first what is first, if you have one priority, all these other priorities or all these other lesser treasures, we'll take care of that. Now, let's unpack that a little bit, okay? Let's get some things for clarification. First, let's do this. Let's understand this. When he's talking about this, he's not talking about Jesus then. So Jesus, then my job, or Jesus, then my family, then my this, then my that, like we rank everything. It's really Jesus in. Put God first means Jesus, not then my family, it's Jesus in my family. It's not Jesus, then my job, it's Jesus in my job. It's not Jesus, then my relationships, it's Jesus in, in everything, right? It's Jesus in everything. Everything, but he's priority, and everything is filtered through the lens of him, his kingdom, and his promises. And then we see this, that provision of God is tied to what we, how we do our priority or priorities. And, and, and so listen, priority is tied to purpose. We'll never get to the second mile unless we understand God's provision for us. So provision is tied to priority. So we have to stop and ask ourselves, hey, if I don't believe God is coming through, the question would come back to us, is he priority? Have you left your first love, Revelation 2, 4? Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? So how do we start and how do we get there? How do we come back to that? Let me give a couple of suggestions. The first one is this. I, I think, and I, I, I've been alluding to this and talking about this this whole series, we have to start with vision. We have to see a vision that the kingdom of Jesus is infinitely and eternally valuable. And if I do things the way Jesus does them, that is, more, that is so much better than the way I'm inclined to do them. And so I buy into the kingdom vision. I understand and accept And now, because of the blood of Jesus, I understand what it means to have a heavenly father. I may not know, you know, earthly father kind of gets crazy, kind of gets goofy. But I see my heavenly father send his son to die for me so I could become part of a kingdom that will never end. And I can depend upon a father whose love for me is steadfast and eternal. And that leads me to give God my devotion. God becomes my treasure Jesus plus nothing equals everything, okay? So vision, devotion. And then once your devotion is there, isn't it true? Discipline follows devotion, which we talked about last week, training to get to the second mile. Discipline follows devotion. Things I'm devoted to, I discipline around them. Like moms, you love your kids. Parents, you love your kids. So you have a discipline of feeding your kids, right? Because you're devoted to them. If I'm devoted to Jesus, I have disciplines. Maybe it's time with God. Maybe it's church. So discipline follows devotion. So because I'm devoted to Jesus, I put him first, and I move toward the second mile. Great quote by uh, Nick Saban. He was talking about discipline. He says this. He goes, listen, there's a thousand decisions we all make every day. But he says the really important decisions come down to two things. He's talking about discipline. He says, listen, when you know what you need to do but don't want to do it, can you make yourself do it anyway? When you know what you need to do but don't want to do it, can you make yourself do it anyway? I don't want to go the second mile with that person. Can you make yourself do it anyway because you are devoted to your Father who is in heaven? and the son he put on the cross for you. When you know you need to forgive, when you know you need to let go, when you know you need to go the second mile, can you make yourself go because of devotion to God? Now, the the second question is similar, but it's different. He says, now, when you want to do something, but you know you shouldn't, can you keep yourself from it? When When you want to do something, but you know you shouldn't, Can you keep yourself from it? Because we're so devoted to Jesus, his kingdom, our Father who is in heaven, that we have discipline that matches our devotion. Now, then there's a couple of shifts. Things we have to learn and unlearn, right? Disciples of Jesus have to unlearn because we're discipled. By our culture, by our background, by our families, by our past, by our pain, by social media, by Netflix. We're discipled by Fox News, but we're trying to be disciples of Jesus, right? So we have to make some shifts, and some of that will require us unlearning some things. Imagine these, okay? Imagine these, okay? Waking up saying, what do I have to do today? and instead saying, God, let me be a blessing today. Now, doesn't mean you don't have things to do. The Jewish person that got made to go a thousand steps, and Jesus said, go ahead and go 2,000, they had things to do too. But the priority was the kingdom. And the way the kingdom advances is when the people of the kingdom seek to bless those who are not part of the kingdom. Seek to bless their families, their neighbors, their relatives, the strangers. Right? So maybe we've been discipled and we wake up every day. What do I got to do today? What do I got to do today? What do I got to do today? And we're type A and we're making a list. We're putting it on our phone. It's fine. Just add. Let me be a blessing today in the way of Jesus, in the way of the kingdom. And if there's a conflict between being a blessing and getting done what you think you need to get done, choose to be a blessing. Sometimes we see obstacles. Sometimes we see people as obstacles. Remember, the Roman soldier, hey, got to carry my pack, got to carry my gear, 1,000 feet, 1,000 paces, one mile. So oftentimes we see obstacles. And, and, and if, you, if you're like me, the obstacles you see tend to get in the way of what you want to do or get done or think you need your, your goals for the day the season your life so those obstacles are here so what if though instead of seeing obstacles we started seizing opportunities to show people jesus christ see getting on the second mile the whole origin of that story was the obstacle of the roman occupation and the Roman law that required them to carry the Roman military gear for a mile. And Jesus said, that's no obstacle to the kingdom. That's no obstacle to the abundant life. It's an opportunity to show the kingdom and to live the abundant life as the people of God. Let me just offer a few handlebars for our invitation this weekend. I think there's some people here when we started talking about priority, you realize something. You would say something like this, you know, God used to be first. God used to be priority. But somehow I demoted him, pushed him to the side, or replaced him. That's me. That's me. That's me. But I'm going to come back to him as my heavenly father. Praise the Lord if that's you. Let us help you if we can. Some of you, you've never made God your priority. You've had priorities. You've got little G gods, but you would say, you know what? That's not working. I'm lost. I don't know which way's up. I don't know what matters, but what, I, what I've been doing ain't working. But you've heard today about a God who put his son on the cross for you. You've heard today that there is only one God, and you can call him Dad. You can call him Father. He loves you that much. All he asks is you put your faith and trust in him, and then as best you know how from this day forward, seek him first in his kingdom, and he'll take care of the details. You're ready to say yes to that. You're ready to become a follower of Jesus. Praise God. Let us know. Move to get baptized. And then I just want to invite all of us at Rockbridge and those of you that Call Rockbridge, your your church. Could we make a commitment today as we close this series? Get ready to head into Memorial Day and the summer and all that. Let's be second milers for life. Let's be second milers forever. Because Jesus went the second mile for us on the cross. Bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray together. I'll just give a little bit of silence and for us to just be still. Know that he's God. Listen to him. There's something you need to tell him. He's hearing. He's listening. He's here. Speak to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Make a commitment. Make a rededication. Give him your sins. Give him your steering wheel of your life so you can call him dad forever. Be part of his kingdom. Holy Spirit, you have this time right now. God, thank you for the privilege of calling you Father. Thank you for the clarity of the priority to seek first your kingdom. Be glorified in us, be glorified through us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.